So this morning, we're going to finish up our sermon series. Over the past three weeks, we've been talking about grace going forward. And over these weeks, we've been talking about more specifically, what is the church? How do we understand what the church truly is? And so in our weeks of talking about the church, we've talked about these three themes so far. The first week, we've talked about what is a beautiful church? We looked at 1 Peter chapter 2 as it talks about the church not being a location. It's not a building, but it is wherever God's people gather together. It is the people of God who declare the excellencies of those who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we're beautiful not because of what we do, but because of the one who has called us and claimed us as his own. In the second week, we talked about what it means to be a discipling church, a church filled with disciples. And we looked at the passage where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And if you are connected to me, you have life. And those who are connected to me will bear much fruit because it is through that connection and only in that connection that you will have life because it is my life that gives you life and allows you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, someone who follows him. In our third week, we talked about what it means to be a reaching church. As we talked about our mission statement, being a family who is growing in Christ while reaching out in love. We talk about what does it mean that we reach out in love? And so we looked at how we saw the disciples that Jesus had called to be his who went out and found others and brought them with. And it's our calling. We who have been claimed by God through the waters of baptism and through the power of the word to go and to bring others to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And this week we're going to look at the last part uh, of one of the marks of what it means to be the church. And originally, as I was uh, preparing for this message, we were going to call it a committed church. But as I was reading through the text that we're going to read through today, and as you read through it, you'll notice this, that the better mark is what does it mean to be a loving church? How are we a loving church? As we jump into our text, let's begin with a word of prayer. We pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. Lord, continue to speak into our lives to remind us that it is only in Jesus that we have a new life, that we are connected to you, that we can reach out in love because it is your life and your love that gives us life and inspires us to love others. Speak to us this day in these few moments through your word and in the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was reading through the text, there's a word that's going to come up that's going to be a significant word we're going to talk about today. It's the word genuine. And the opposite of genuine is to be fake, to be counterfeit, to, to be something or claim to be something that it's not. So I was thinking about uh, my wife and I this uh, summer when we went on vacation, uh, one of the places I walked through is I walked through a Rolex store. Have you ever walked through a Rolex store before? Yeah, and some of you are like, no way, I wouldn't even go in there. Well, I just thought it would be fun to look at that. In fact, there was one of the watches in the, the window, and, and it was just this beautiful watch. So I'm like, I love that watch. And so uh, another couple we were on vacation with, so you should go in and ask them how much that watch is. So went in and asked them, and they go, $125,000. Like, yeah, there's houses that don't cost that much, right? Maybe not how many falls, but there's houses that don't cost that much. I said, what's the cheapest watch you have in this store? $5,000. I didn't touch anything. Turned around and walked right out of there. But, but I was thinking about, you know what? I could have bought a fake Rolex. Kind of looks like the real thing, right? 
looks like it, you can show it off like it, but it isn't. So, so this is, one of these is a fake Rolex, one is a real Rolex. Can you tell the difference? Okay, so how many of you believe that the fake Rolex is on the left? The fake Rolex is on the left. Okay, how many of you believe the fake Rolex is on the right? How many say the right? Okay, right has more votes and more people wrong. So it is on the left. The fake Rolex is on the left. Okay, how about this one? Two $20 bills, one fake, one real. How many believe that the fake one is on the top? Fake is on the top. How many believe fake is on the bottom? Yep, fake is on the bottom, fake is on the bottom. Now, if you really wanted to get this right, because some of you were guessing, just be honest, many of you were guessing, if you wanted to get this right, how would you do it? For some of you, you'd be like, I wouldn't do it, right? You wouldn't. You would probably find someone who knew how to determine what was fake and what was real, especially if you were about to buy a Rolex watch from somebody, maybe not an official vendor, you would want to know, is this real or is this fake? And so you'd bring it to somebody who would know the distinguishing marks, who would know how to test both watches and say, you know what, this one doesn't have the right numbers on it or it doesn't have all the right gears on it or isn't put together right. And so I know this one is fake because I know the marks of what it means to be fake and what it means to be real. Today, that's what we're going to talk about as we ask this question, how does the love, how does the church show genuine love? Real love, not counterfeit love. We're going to actually see that word genuine in, in respect to love, genuine love in our text. We're going to look at our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. would love for you to open up the Bibles in front of you. If you brought your Bibles from home, that is wonderful. We always encourage you, bring your Bibles from home, mark in them, write in them, highlight in them if you want to, or, or open it up on a Bible app if you have a Bible app on your phone. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. In our text, Paul is speaking into the life of the church at Corinth. And as he speaks into the life of the church at Corinth, he's also going to be talking about the church that is at Macedonia. And there's going to be a little bit of a comparison or an encouragement based on what's going at the churches in Macedonia. And then that reference is going to speak into what it means to have genuine love in the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, it has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us." Now, there's a word that's going to be repeated four times by Paul in this section. Three of them easily seen. One of them is just translated differently in the English. It's the same Greek word, though. It's the word grace. Notice in verse 1, he says, we want you to know about the grace of God. In verse 4, it's translated a little bit differently. It says, begging us earnestly for the favor. That's actually the same exact Greek word. So it could be saying, Beg us, begging us earnestly for the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, as he's talking about and Paul is speaking about generosity in this section, you and I oftentimes do not connect grace with generosity. In fact, oftentimes when we hear about generosity and we hear about our offerings and we hear about stewardship, we, we tend to connect more with the law, like this is what God expects of us. 
This is what God wants from us. But when we understand the scriptures, generosity is not as much what God wants from us as what God wants for us. It's less about obligation and more about opportunity. It's less about law and more about love. Less about guilt and more about grace. And we're going to see him connect generosity and grace. In fact, when you read through the scriptures, the scriptures constantly tie generosity and grace closely together. He says, I want you to know about the grace of God. And then he gives this picture of the Macedonian churches. He describes what they are going through. And if you notice, it says, it says they are going through persecution. They are going through suffering. They are going through extreme poverty. Some of them might have had their goods seized, their businesses seized, uh, everything that they had seized because they were Christians. They, they proclaimed the name of Jesus. And there were those who were against that. It says, yet in the midst of all of that, it says the abundance of their joy in affliction and poverty, the abundance of their joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For some of us, we look at that and go, how, uh, how could in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulty, you know, when life seems to be against them, how can that provide an abundance of joy that leads to generosity? It was because they looked at things differently than oftentimes we do in the world today. One of the first things they did when you read this is, is they forgot about themselves and they lived as if today was their last day. Because for some of them, today could have been their last day. And I want you to think about this. Because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We're just not. Tragedies happen all the time. We see it all over the place and on the news. But if today was your last day, if you knew today was your last day, how would you live differently? If you knew that there was not a tomorrow for you, how would you live today differently? How would you view your relationships differently? How would you view your time differently? How would you view your possessions differently? For some things, we would place a whole lot more value on them, and other things, we would place a whole lot less value on them, wouldn't we? They lived as if, you know what, tomorrow doesn't matter. I'm going to trust God with my tomorrow, and I'm going to live in the moment and in the day that God gives me today. And then they understood this, that all that they had wasn't their own. In fact, one of the most important understandings we can have in generosity is this, is that you own nothing and God owns everything. They understood, they knew Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that God had created everything, just speaking into creation, he created the plants and he created the earth and he created the seas and he created the birds and the animals and then he created man and woman. God created everything and if God created it all, that means everything you have is part of God's creation and he owns it all. It's his. And if he owns it all, that means that how we handle it is a little bit differently. When my wife and I go out and, and sometimes drive through McDonald's and pick up McDonald's, uh, my wife has pointed out that I have a, this weird habit uh, of how I finish my food at McDonald's. When I finish at McDonald's, I will always leave one to two bites of my burger left, throw it back in the box, and throw it away. I don't know why I do it, but I just do. It's just this one quirky habit I have. I also will never finish my French fries. I always have a third left. No matter if I get a large fry or a medium, it's always a third of my fries left at the bottom of the fry box. So what I do is instead of throwing away my fries, I'll turn around to one of my children and say, here you go, 
Now share them with your brother and sisters. And they love that until they hear the word share, right? Because they're like, oh, I get all the, fr- oh, I got to share. And so then they do this whole bargaining thing as they look in the bottom and they start doing the counting thing. You ever, right? Like, how many is this? Okay, I got five. There's six of us. There's 18. And then they're like, does that mean everyone gets one and I get the rest? Or how about two? So I finally say to them, just remember, those are my fries. You just get to share them. That's what God's saying. This is His creation. This is His world. He put it together. He formed it. He spoke in and created all things. And if we truly believe that He formed everything and it's all His, He owns it all because He put it together, then how we view our possessions is very differently because we don't own anything and God owns everything. Which is why at the end it says, so they gave, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us, saying, saying they knew it was God, so they basically said, God, it's yours. We give it all over to you, and because we give it over to you, you call us to be generous, so we're going to give it to others. In fact, they believe this so much so. Do you, do you see the, the qualification or the description of what they did as they were giving in verse 4? It says, those who were in poverty and struggling, it says, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Have you ever begged to be generous? Right? They begged. They're like, please let us do more. We want to do more. Because they understood how important that was to display generosity. We're going to see why that is so important in a moment. But Paul starts here with the description of the church at Macedonia. It says, this is what the church of Macedonia did as they gave according to their means and even more earnestly because of how important it was in understanding that this was part of what God's grace had called them to do. And then Paul goes, okay, because this is what the Macedonian church has done. Uh, Titus, Pastor Titus, the pastor of the church in Corinth, I want you to teach the Corinth church that because of how their example in Macedonia should be an encouragement and an inspiration to you of your generosity. So he goes on and he says this. Accordingly, we urged Pastor Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace. He's saying, keep encouraging them. And the reason he has to tell them, keep encouraging them, because he's encouraged them before and now do so again is because it is so easy for us to drift away from generosity. Because every week and every month and every year, we see all of the expectations that are on our life. Whether it is uh, we see the bills that we have to pay and the purchases that we want to make. We see children who are growing up and we realize that we should start saving for their college and then we want to help them once they get out of college with their school payments and their loan payments. And, And then we're looking forward to retirement or trips we want to take and things that we want to experience and debt that we want to pay off. And there's all these different things and it's so easy for us in the midst of the life we live and the expectations that we put on ourselves or this world puts upon us to drift from generosity. And he says, says, encourage them again. Urge them to complete this act of grace. And notice again, what does he call generosity? He calls generosity an act of grace. And then he gives a, a description of how their generosity should be. 
Do you see the description in verse 7? What's the descriptive word in verse 7 that he says should describe how they practice generosity? It says, you should excel in everything and excel in this act of grace, generosity. I just want you to think about your generosity for a minute and how you use your time and how you use your talents and how you respond to God's grace in your offerings and your gifts. Would God describe your generosity as excelling? Would you describe it that way? Paul says, encourage them to excel in this act of grace, to go all the way, to give fully into it, and he calls it an act of grace. And the reason he calls it an act of grace is because he's going to connect it to the gospel. Like I said before, we often connect it to the law, to obligation, to what we're supposed to do. But what Paul does is he doesn't connect it to the law, although our giving is a response, it's it's our calling, but he connects it to the gospel. Because notice what he then says as he talks about this grace of giving, this act of grace. Notice what he says about it in verse 8. He goes on and says, So I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you in his poverty might become rich. I want you to think about verse 8 for a second. He says, I want you to be able to prove that your love is genuine. And I want you to think about the people in your life, spouses, children, parents, co-workers, neighbors. If someone came up to you and said, I love you, how would you prove that their love was genuine? Or if you said to somebody else, I love you, how would you prove your love is genuine? Because there are many times where people will, will act like they love us or say that they love us, but their love isn't genuine. And they, behind closed doors and in other ways, do not treat us with great love. Because it's not just what people say, is it? Love is shown in tangible ways when love is genuine. It's not just intention, but action. God didn't just say, I love you. He didn't just say, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only begotten son, but he actually gave him. And in fact, do you even see in that John 3.16, do you see generosity in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He says, you want to see an act of grace? I'm going to show you the greatest act of grace, the greatest act of generosity that there ever was, which is a reminder to us that you and I, we could never outgive God. We can't because he has given the greatest gift ever in the outpouring of his blood on the cross for you and for me. He gave everything for us. Somebody who, after I had uh, preached on generosity one time, came up and said to me, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the difference uh, between a pig and a chicken when it comes to providing uh, a breakfast of eggs and bacon. Do you know the difference between the pig and the chicken when it comes to providing breakfast with eggs and bacon? The chicken just had to give its eggs. The pig was fully committed to give everything right? Jesus 
gave everything, all of it, for you and for me. The greatest act of generosity is not what takes place in the offering basket, but the greatest act of generosity took place on the cross of Jesus Christ, shown in a tangible way for you and for me. And the thing that Paul would say is, is in response to the cross, in light of the cross, how could we ever hold anything back from God? Because it's all His. And He has given everything for you and for me. In fact, what we see in the cross is this, is that genuine love will always overflow into generosity. It does. Because that's exactly what it did in the life of Jesus Christ. In the waters of holy baptism, in fact, uh, I had a child after the the eight o'clock service who said, do you you know, pastor, that the waters of holy baptism are overflowing out of the top of that bowl back there. So what a beautiful picture that is, isn't it? It's in the waters of baptism we see the overflow of God's genuine love. It's in the body and blood of Jesus Christ that we receive right here that we see an overflow of God's genuine love. It's in the forgiveness of sins that is proclaimed over you that we see a genuine overflow of God's genuine love. His generosity poured out for you and for me. Because what generosity does is generosity shows what we love most. So in fact, it is a great test for you and me That if you were to look at your money, if you were to look at your checkbook, if you were to look at how you spent your money, what does it say that you love most? What does it say is most important in your life? For God, it was you. He became poor, who had the riches of heaven, the perfection of eternity, and he took on our flesh and blood. And in being betrayed and denied, he gave up the riches for the poverty of this world so that you who are poverty in your sin might know the riches of eternal life. And he says, in response to this, stemming from this, this is what you are called to. He says, and now in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You see the two things he's saying here? He says, first of all, don't just start, but finish. Because it doesn't matter if you start a race if you don't finish the race. No one cares that you started a marathon. They only care if you finished the marathon. Keep going. Finish it. And then he says, and your generosity, that readiness is acceptable not according to what you don't have, but according to what you do have. But how we struggle with that is this. We struggle with it because of how we see generosity and how we receive generosity. Because in our life, we all have an idea of, of the kind of generosity we want God to show us. And so what we do is, is, is sometimes we come and we say, you know what, God, I will pick the amount of blessings I want you to give me. So let me pick the size of the bowl of the blessings I want. You don't get to pick, God. I pick. So, so God, if you fill my bowl, then I'll be generous. But, but I'm going to pick the size bowl that I want you to fill. As if we're in control and, and we decide the acts of generosity that God shows us, the daily bread that he ought to give us. And then what we do is is we want God to fill that bowl. And so we say, God, you fill my bowl, and once it reaches the top and starts overflowing, I'll be generous. 
So God's filling and, and we're, you know, thank you, God, this is great. Just keep going, God. We're almost there. We're almost there and I'll be generous. And, and then we start to get close to the top and what do we do? We start to look around, don't we? We start to go, man, you know, this house was great 10 years ago, but that house is a lot better. We go, all right, God, you know, you know I said I'd be generous once we got there, but my, my needs have changed, my bowl has changed, so, so God, I promise to be generous, but first I need you to keep filling my bowl. And so now that first bowl is overflowing, but it's overflowing into the second bowl, and we're like, God, you know, once we reach the top of that second bowl, we start to get to the top of that second bowl, and we start looking around again, don't we? We're like, God, there's another bowl. And we go, you know, God, just, just keep pouring. You know, thanks for pouring. Thanks for blessing us. I had a whole lot more now than I did the first year I got out of college. But just keep going because I need more. God, keep filling my bowl. And then when it overflows, I'll be generous. As I was putting this illustration together, I was talking to Christine uh, Young, our DCE, and, and I wasn't paying attention to filling the bowl, and as I was doing it, I realized it wasn't overflowing, and I'm like, well, this isn't going to be a good illustration, and I realized why it wasn't overflowing. It had a crack in the bowl that doesn't work well, right? I'm like, this is a terrible illustration, so I realized how many of our bowls have cracks in them because of the bad financial decisions we've made in our life. How many of us have cracks in our bowl because of the debt that we have racked up? And, and how crazy is credit card debt, right? I mean, think about that. You, instead of being able to take your wife, your husband out for a nice dinner, you're taking the money you would do with that nice dinner and you're giving $150 to somebody else to take their spouse out for a nice dinner when you could do it instead. And we crack our bowl and then we're like, God, you know what? I, I know I cracked my bowl, but I want you to fix my bad choices and my bad decisions. So I'll be generous once you fix my bad choices. Just keep filling. And then I was sharing this illustration with Delina, so I have to give her credit on this part of it. And she goes, you know what this reminds me of? She goes, do you, do you know how when sometimes we go to Starbucks and we order a coffee and they start pouring the coffee and every once in a while, the coffee will overflow out of the top of the bowl because that's what we say, God, God once, once my bowl is overflowing, then I'll be generous. But, but, but what do you do with the coffee that flows over the top of the coffee cup? Where, where does it go? It goes into that little thing right underneath it and then what you don't do is you don't go, hey, um, could you put that in a cup? Because I'd love to give that to my wife as my act of grace. Right? Like, here you go, hon, I love you. We don't do that, do we? Right? Because what do they do with that stuff? They pour it out because that's, that's the extra. That, that's the garbage. That's the leftovers. It's, I don't need that. And we're like, God, you know what? Hey, you fill my bowl to overflowing. And once my bowl is overflowing, whatever comes out the top, I'll give you some of that as an act of generosity. When we read the text, what he's saying is, is not our generosity is what flows out of our bowl as if that's all that God calls us to be generous with. What he's saying is that, that our generosity is an outpouring, an overflow of our life because we're to be generous not just with which flows over the top, but with everything because as the Macedonian churches remind us, it's not what flows over the top that is God's. Everything is owned by God. It's all his. And our generosity is a great response to the outpouring of God's grace into our life. And we are to respond with the same grace and generosity that God has shown to us, just like the widow's might. She who gave everything. And the question that might be an important question for you and me this morning is this. 
As I seek to show genuine love, what is the next step for me to excel in generosity, to show genuine love towards others? And I need you to know that your generosity matters. It makes a difference here at Grace. If you were at our State of Grace Voters Assembly, you would have seen it. I just want to give you a quick snapshot in just a couple minutes. This is where we're at as of last year. You know, your generosity provides for over 766 people to come and worship every weekend, like you. Your generosity allows for people to be in Bible study, for us to have a day school, for, for us to have 41 children and adults last year who were baptized, 41 people who were entered into, were part of, claimed by God in the waters of baptism, your generosity provided for that. Your generosity provided for many of the things that we need to do here at Grace. The things that we need to take care of and provide for us, God has provided this beautiful place to worship in, but we need to continue to pay for it and provide uh, the updates to our parking lots and, and curriculums and things like that. It provides for missions as we continue to pour into the missions in Honduras, in the Lumen Schools, in Link, Milwaukee, and in Mana, in, in Acts of Grace Christmas, and in many other ways. It allows children to hear about Jesus in our worship ministry and adults to gather together. It allows us to have Bible study, like brown bag Bible studies for, for those who come on Thursday afternoons and for our women's ministries and our men's ministries. It allows us to have a care ministry by which we reach out to people in acts of genuine love, people who are struggling with hurts and hangups and, and, and habits, and they're struggling and they're in their time of need, and we have the opportunity because we love them and we genuinely love them to not just say it but to show it by offering care ministries that are a blessing to them, to allow us to do missions whether it is in Honduras or nationally as we responded to disasters or locally. It provides for our school ministry. I said this last year, but you know, tuition only covers about 47% of the cost of education. 47. Which means that in order to continue to have a Christian day school, it is our generosity that provides for us to continue to speak the gospel into the lives of children every single day. It provides for our student ministries. Last year, our youth ministry averaged 80. This past year, I was talking to Christine, uh, we're close to 95 every single weekend. What a bliss, blessing that is. Our children's ministry was at 100 for a couple weekends straight. What an amazing blessing that is. What an amazing blessing that is for us to have an outpouring of love to do these ministries for the sake of reaching out in genuine love and outpouring so that we might show the grace of giving a genuine love that overflows into generosity. And, and when we do this, we understand that God takes what we give. And he is a God who multiplies, doesn't just add. He is a God who changes lives, a God who builds his kingdom, a God who continues to expand what we can do in a way that is beyond our imagination because he can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. It's what he does. And as we look to the future, to mission expansion and ministry expansion and our facility expansion. We will move at the speed of the response of you, God's people, his church, as we reach out in love, in genuine acts of love to show grace in an outpouring of generosity. And so my encouragement is the same as Paul's. Keep going. Keep going. Excel in this act of grace. And allow your genuine love for God's people 
in his ministry to show itself in an overflow of generosity that God might continue to do this amazing act of grace among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be a generous people. And as you have been so generous to us by giving your son and giving it all, in light of the cross, help us to be generous so that through us, we might see you continue to build your kingdom and change lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.